Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Are you not entertained? She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, adventurers. Good day to you all, and welcome to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda. It is time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment and gaming news sources. We've got some stories for you today. Valve bans some traders. Twitter hit a limit. Paris is burning. A weekly box office update. A bear. And more. Let's get your gear and let's go. So apparently Valve has banned about 40 Counter-Strike Global Offensive, also known as CSGO, traders linked to gambling sites, essentially wiping out over $2 million worth of in-game trading items. As spotted and reported by Desherto and PC Gamer, these bans are coming after a gambling site known as CSGO Empire published a spreadsheet of CSGO traders that it believed were part of a cryptocurrency money laundering scheme, allegedly operating through a rival gambling site called CSGO Roll. Now, while Valve has not yet commented on whether or not the bans were connected to the details revealed in this spreadsheet, it does seem as though all but one of the accounts leaked on the spreadsheet have now been banned. Now, the owner of CSGO Roll has explicitly denied the accusations saying it was only when it announced that its most recent partnership that brutal and sinister and callous attacks were leveled at the organization. The owner explained, quote, I own a gamified skins trading platform by law that is not classified as a casino in our largest markets because we do not offer cash withdrawals, unquote. He did go on to say that contracted skin suppliers are not allowed to play games on the platform. Thus, we can legally pay them crypto for their skins to always ensure that we have a liquid marketplace. This was all checked by lawyers years ago, and we keep ourselves up to date on the modern regulations to always make sure we're compliant with the law, unquote. Now, according to PC Gamer, the ban has unsettled other traders who have used either Roll or Empire. So this prompted massive backlash and now everybody's panicking and everybody's doing this everything must go sale type of thing. Now any account that receives a community ban can no longer trade items so all their stockpiles of skins and stickers, gloves, knives, etc. are just now stuck in limbo. They literally have to sit on it and on the regular accounts are freaking out. Now, after the accounts were banned it was reached out by PC Gamer to Valve to ask if these accounts that were banned were chosen because of their connection to CSGO Roll 
but they never received a reply back. So without that, there's no confirmation to know if that's why they were chosen or if they just simply happened to be caught in the band wave. Now, on the flip side of that, CSGO Empire has been taking this as definitive proof of victory over their rival, who they accused of having illegally laundered 12.7 million in crypto over the last month alone, as well as attempting blackmail to prevent the list from ever being made public. Steam's online conduct rules restrict users from engaging in commercial activity on the platform, which includes running contests and gambling, buying or selling Steam accounts, selling content, gift cards, or other items. So we'll see if they ever respond back to the inquiry about whether Roll was just caught up in a band wave or they were specifically targeted. We'll see how it goes. But in the meantime, we have a lot of CSGO materials kind of abandoned in a digital warehouse. The FTC, also known as the Federal Trade Commission, and Microsoft have been battling it out for a while now in the courts over Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And the FTC is really looking at this whole acquisition under a microscope. Now, the company's CEO, Microsoft's CEO, wants you guys to all know it's Sony's fault that console exclusives exist. Hmm. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella gave testimony during the hearing of FTC versus Microsoft. This has been making headlines since June 22nd, by the way. As reported by The Verge, he was asked about console exclusives and pointed fingers at the PlayStation maker. Quote, if it was up to me, I would love to get rid of the entire exclusives on console, but that's not for me to define, especially as a low share player in the console's market. The dominant player there, Sony, has defined market competition using exclusives, so that's the world we live in. I have no love for that world, unquote. Which is really, really curious. While console exclusives are really nothing new, we've been dealing with them for decades by every major console maker to lure people into ownership of that particular device. Microsoft has been on a tear in recent years about this, and they've been scooping up developer after developer. For example, let's look at Arcane Austin. They the critically acclaimed studio. They were building a PS5 version of their vampire shooter Redfall before the Xbox creator bought them up and turned that into a console exclusive. Similarly, Machine Games' Indiana Jones game that was being developed for multiple platforms, Microsoft pulled that plug, and then Bethesda Game Studios' Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield are both Xbox exclusive now that Microsoft owns that developer. However, it's the franchise of Call of Duty's standing as an exclusive that now stands at the center of Sony's objections to the proposed acquisition. Now, Kotaku did reach out to Microsoft and Sony for comment. Nothing has been released yet. The hearing did recently conclude and closing arguments were interesting. And they made a July 18th deadline for Microsoft to close this deal. And it's just getting closer and closer. And the company, Microsoft, is now potentially on the hook for a $3 billion breakup fee if they miss that deadline. Back in 1986, a man by the name of Andre Sapolsky entered a short story competition held by Fantastica magazine and made his debut as an author. Due to reader demand, Sapolsky wrote 14 more stories 
before starting a series of novels in 1994. And this series became known as The Witcher Saga. Now, The Witcher Saga became super popular. The Witcher became a super popular character to where a little company by the name of CD Projekt Red picked up the rights to it and created a video game called The Witcher, released in October of 2007. Fast forward just a little bit, here it is December of 2019, Netflix has picked up the rights and has released a live action adaptation to it. It was starring Henry Cavill, and at first people were kind of skeptical about his casting. The costume designs were kind of meh, but as it, the excitement kind of grew a little bit as they saw how passionate that Henry Cavill was about the character. And it really wasn't long before fans realized how much he embraced this character. Henry Cavill became Geralt and they have accepted it and it's just been since the first episode people have fallen in love with this character on the big screen. Now fast forward a little bit more. Here it is 2023 and the fans are facing a very big problem. Season 3 just debuted. The second part of the season will drop later on Netflix on July 27th. Cavill has returned as the titular Geralt. The problem? This is his last season. The character of Geralt will transition to Liam Hemsworth at the start of season four. And while the transition from Cavill to Hemsworth as Geralt it might sound a little jarring, the show's executive producer, they think it's going to be flawless. They did an interview with Yahoo UK and the executive producer Tomek Baginski opened up about the monumental change for The Witcher and mentioned that they have a, quote, a very, very good plan to introduce our new Geralt. Back in October of 2022, Cavill revealed he was leaving The Witcher after this upcoming third season to be replaced by the star of The Hunger Games, Liam Hemsworth. Baginski added that the switch will be, quote, very lore accurate to the novel. Not going deeply into those ideas because it will be a huge spoiler, but it's also very, very close to the meta ideas which are deeply embedded in the book, especially book five, unquote. So the season three trailer goes all out for Cavill's final outing as the White Wolf. And interestingly, even though Beginsky name checks book five, the upcoming season for the show really kind of looks to adapt the author's second entry into the Witcher saga called The Time of Contempt. Earlier this year, it was reported that The Witcher could have ended with Cavill's departure, but the showrunner, showrunner Lauren Schmidt-Hisrich, said there's just too many stories left to tell. So the only question really remaining is why exactly is he leaving? Why is Cavill departing from this series? Well, the exact reasons behind his departure have never been confirmed, but there are several rumors about creative differences between the leading man and the showrunner. In 2021, prior to the release of season two, Cavill had said he was pushing for a depiction of Geralt that is more accurate to the books on which this series is based. He said, quote, it's important for me to have the character be three-dimensional, and it's tricky to do because there's a certain vision and there's a certain set storyline and plot. And so it was about me trying to find Geralt's place within that. All of my asks and requests were along the lines of just be faithful to the source material, end quote. Now, fans have long speculated that Cavill actually made the decision to quit The Witcher in order to dedicate his time to filming more Superman movies. Following Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League, Cavill shot a cameo appearance at the end of last year's Black Adam, 
which was setting up a major confrontation between his and Dwayne Johnson's characters. However, since then, DC Studios have massively changed their game plan for their upcoming releases and the role of Clark Kent has since been recast. David Cornsweet will play the famous superhero in the new Superman Legacy. Superman Legacy is going to be James Gunn's reboot of the DC Universe. A little bit more on that a little bit later. So it was speculated that Cavill wasn't happy with the way the show was going, that it was deviating too far. Look, one thing you're going to learn about Cavill, he is a big nerd. He is a massive fanboy of several series, and he wants you to stay close to the source material. It's because he knows the source material, and he's not happy with what you're doing. So there was some speculation he was leaving because of the creative differences. And then it was rumored he was actually having meetings with James Gunn at DC about reprising his role of Superman. And then that all kind of came crashing down. So then he was out of the Witcher job and he wasn't being recast as Superman. That had everybody questioning, did he make a mistake? Well, now what is he going to do? He jumped ship and he went to Amazon. And Amazon has agreed to let him be an executive producer and they're producing a show about Warhammer 40K. I don't think he made a bad decision. I think he's making a good one for his career. He was fantastic as Superman. Everybody loved him in The Witcher. I'm going to be curious to see how Liam Helmsworth takes over. Is that going to be the end of The Witcher series? We don't know yet. It's really going to depend on how well they really do this transition. I know Liam is a very good actor. I've seen him. Hunger Games was fantastic. So can he step into Geralt's shoes and really hold the show? We're going to find out soon. But in the meantime, Season 3 is now streaming on Netflix and the second part of Season 3 will drop on July the 27th. Russell Crowe gave an amazing and groundbreaking performance as the General Maximus Decimus Meridius in Ridley Scott's Oscar-winning movie, Gladiator. In fact, on March 25th of 2001, the film won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor for Russell Crowe. So it's safe to say that even after 23 years, fans still love and respect Russell Crowe on anything Gladiator related. Anything. Including the upcoming sequel, Gladiator 2. There's just one major problem. Maximus himself. Why? Well, he's dead, Jim. It was a pretty definitive ending. Crowe's character gives in to his wounds following the fight to the death in the Colosseum between him and the Emperor Commodus, who was played by Joaquin Phoenix. But the fans just keep asking Crow questions to the point where, when he appeared at the Karlovy Vary Film Festival, Crow was complaining. People kept asking him about the sequel, even though he's not in it. Quote, They should be bleeping paying me for the amount of questions I am asked about a film I'm not even in. It has nothing to do with me. In that world, I'm dead, six feet under. I do admit to a certain tinge of jealousy because it reminds me of when I was younger and what it meant for me in my life, unquote. However, Crow asserted he still has no idea what who will be in that movie. Quote, I don't know anything about the cast. I don't know anything about the plot. I'm dead, but it, I know that if Ridley Scott has decided to do a second part of the story over 20 years later, he must have had very strong reasons. I can't think of this movie being anything other than spectacular, end quote. Gladiator 2 will reportedly star Paul Mescal, as well as Fred Hickinger, who is coming on board as Emperor Geta. Gladiator 2 will arrive in theaters on November 22nd of 2024. And for their sakes, General, 
I hope we are entertained. As we here at the Starter Zone scour the news agencies for news to share with you, sometimes we will stumble on one that has a larger global impact that while we strive to cover entertainment and gaming news and stay entertaining and fun, we just can't ignore these stories. We came across the news about TwitchCon Paris, which will be between July 8th and 9th, and we saw a public service announcement from Twitch regarding the safety of Paris. Hmm, okay, Twitch, you have my attention. The announcement read as follows. We are closely monitoring the protests taking place in and around Paris. The safety and security of our community and staff is always and will continue to be our top priority. At this time, there is no anticipated impact to TwitchCon Paris. The venue is not near the epicenter of the protests or any of the areas that have seen protest activity and has continued to operate business as usual. We are getting regular updates from the ground and will communicate any changes from our TwitchCon plans. We look forward to seeing you soon, the TwitchCon team. Okay, so that sparked us here to find out what's going on in Paris. I've heard bits and, and blurbs about it, but I wanted to really find out and share with you what's going on. The Parisian police pulled over a teenager who was identified only as Nahel M., in the Parisian suburb of Nanterre on the morning of June 27th. Nihel was working as a delivery driver, but he pulled over to speak with the two police officers who approached his vehicle to explain that he had broken traffic rules, according to a prosecutor. The exact spark and reason for this next part of the incident remains unclear. Police say that Nihel drove his car at one of the officers, while the video shows one of the officers pointing a weapon at him, saying, you are going to get a bullet in the head. And this is according to France 24. Nahel was driving a yellow Mercedes, had two passengers in the car. He had no license on him at the time, and he had been reportedly been placed in detention for refusing to comply with a previous traffic stop and was scheduled to appear in juvenile court in September. The officer then appears to shoot Nahel as the car suddenly pulls away, traveling only a short distance before crashing. Nahel did die at the scene, and police took the offending officer into custody. They opened an investigation into the charges of, in, of voluntary, excuse me, voluntary manslaughter, and charges were brought against him shortly after that. But the shooting sparked cries of outrage, and it caused the younger population to speak out in the form of rioting. Protesters have violently been clashing with police ever since, with increasing numbers of arrests. As the demonstrators have hurled rocks and fireworks at police officers, they've set vehicles and trash on fire, and they've been defacing buildings. In total, more than 2,000 arrests have been made over a five-day period of, rest of the unrest around the country. The French President Emmanuel Macron also postponed his scheduled visit to Germany as a result of the unrest. Uh, France's Minister of the Interior said on Saturday that the average age of those arrested was 17. The first protest occurred in Nanterre, where the incident occurred, but by the third day, they had spread to other towns and cities, including Marseille, Lyon, Toulouse, and Strasbourg. Interesting side note, Paris is going to be the site of the 2024 Summer Olympics, so the government almost seems desperate to start getting things under control now limit the physical damage, and kind of regain their own image as a peaceful country as soon as possible. 
Safe travels to all of our listeners traveling to the Paris area this week. Billionaire Elon Musk found himself in the crosshairs of public anger and ridicule this past weekend as the head of Twitter himself announced some new, possibly temporary, limitations. What now? Okay, so Twitter is putting limits as to how many tweets its users can read as the service is suffering extended outages that have stymied users' ability to track new posts. In a tweet, Musk detailed the revised usage quotas. Verified account holders can peruse a maximum of 6,000 posts daily, while unverified users must contend with a drastically reduced limit of 600. Newly registered unverified users were facing even tighter restrictions with just an allowance of a mere 300 posts per day. Now, since this was announced, he did increase the limits. It's now 10,000 for verified account holders, 1,000 for unverified, and 500 for the new ones. The Musk said that Twitter is wrestling with, quote, extreme levels of data scraping, unquote, from several hundred organizations and system manipulation. So these new constraints are an essential measure to curb these pressing issues. Now, Musk did not say who was scraping Twitter's data and how long the issue has persisted, nor did he elaborate on the system manipulation claim. Okay, that's great, but what's data scraping? Well, data scraping is a technique where a computer program will extract data from human-readable output coming from another program, basically data mining for, like, email addresses. Now, the billionaire has previously expressed concerns about data scraping at Twitter and suggested that he may take action against those bad actors. Musk was briefly outraged over Microsoft, quote, illegally using Twitter's data and threatened that it was lawsuit time. According to a developer, however, the big bad wolf that Twitter is fighting against this week appears to be Twitter itself. There's a bug in Twitter's web app that's sending requests to Twitter in an infinite loop, and it's causing problems. This curbing follows tens of thousands of users complaining on Saturday, July the 1st, that Twitter was not populating their feeds with the newer tweets. Instead, users were just greeted with a quote, rate limit exceeded error message. This is not the first technical hiccup that Twitter has grappled with in recent months, and nor is it the first instance of an unorthodox solution being devised to just hold the situation together. Earlier this week, Twitter had started to restrict access to its platform for anyone who was not logged into an account. This hiccup arrives at a time when the social media giant Meta, the owner of Facebook, is reportedly beginning to launch its own Twitter rival. Sounds like Zuckerberg's getting ready to fight Musk, not just in the octagon, but also in cyberspace. But that's a story for another day. Let's get it on! All right, now it's time to check out the box office this past weekend. How did some of these highly anticipated new releases fare? Well, Indiana Jones is back, and he struck gold. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny got a hero's welcome on its hunt for the number one spot at the box office. This action-adventure raked in $24 million on its opening night on Friday, according to IMDb's Box Office Mojo. The film stars Harrison Ford in the fifth and final portrayal of archaeologist extraordinaire Dr. Jones. Its opening box office showing was lower than advanced estimates. The movie grossed $60 million in the United States, $70 million internationally, so bringing the franchise's total global box office total 
to $130 million in its three-day opening. A Dial of Destiny reportedly cost nearly $300 million to make, which makes the open weekend box office numbers pretty underwhelming, and it'll be a really tall hurdle for the movie to clear in order to make a profit. But the nostalgia is pretty strong with this one as we get to say goodbye to Dr. Jones. We can only hope that Dial of Destiny makes up for that last movie, the, you know, the one we don't talk about. I don't know. I think it had something with crystal skulls in it. Anyway, Miles Morales and crew continue to flex their awesomeness. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse placed second with $11.5 million, which was only a 39% drop from last weekend. The latest Spidey film's North American total has reached $339.87 million and has crossed $607 million globally. And it's been out for five weeks. Disney Pixar's Elemental also had a 39% drop, but it was enough to keep it in third place with ticket sales of $11.5 million domestically. So totally, it's brought in globally $187 million. And this is his third week at the box office. To round out the top five, Jennifer Lawrence's No Hard Feelings took fourth place with $7.5 million, and Transformers Rise of the Beast rounded out the top five with seven million but wait a minute where's the flash it's been in theaters for like three weeks i mean elemental just took second place oh i see it took in five million this weekend it placed number eight the flash is now sitting at around 245 million worldwide and if my sources are correct things are about to get worse according to industry insider the disc father approximately 1500 theaters will reportedly remove The Flash from its lineup this week. It debuted in 4,232 theaters. But theaters are likely losing money by showing the film because no one's buying tickets. It even got as far where Fandango was offering a buy one, get one free offer for the film and didn't have a lot of takers. The fan comments continue to point out that the Warner Brothers' decision to leave the controversial star of the movie, Ezra Miller, in as the lead actor has led them to the decision that fans just don't want to see it. They don't want to support it. And even more of the fans are bringing up the fact that the DC Universe has an imminent reboot. And that's severely discouraged them from going as well. It looks like not even Michael Keaton's Batman was enough to save this latest DC movie from disaster. What are you? I'm Batman. I think it's fair to say that a lot of us assumed Redfall would be the year's biggest release disaster after we all saw the state of it. But little did we know that the Lord of the Rings Gollum was lurking around the corner and it was waiting to snatch that title like the titular character snatching away that one ring. The Lord of the Rings Gollum's premise has always raised some eyebrows. It's a stealth-based action adventure, and it's not exactly what springs to mind if you ask Lord of the Ring fans what kind of game they'd like to see made. Developer Private Division's upcoming Middle-Earth set open-world game is more likely to be along the lines of what people were looking for. Now, on top of that, Gollum was delayed several times, which typically signals development issues. And in the weeks before release, marketing was next to none. I don't remember seeing a single advertisement for this. So what exactly were the developers hiding? That was a thought that many people were having. Review scores came out and soon revealed the absolutely abysmal state of the game. So it may not surprise you that plans for a sequel have been totally abandoned. 
And worse yet, the studio that created the game is now being shut down. As reported by Polygon, publisher Datalik Entertainment is no longer going to be utilizing its internal development division. Instead, they're going to focus exclusively on publishing. They also confirmed that they've ended development on another project that was based on the Lord of the Rings intellectual property. Well, some may assume that this was going to be the sequel, but it also stands to reason it could have been another entirely, completely separate entity. Datalik didn't provide any further clarification. And in a statement given to Polygon, Datalik wrote that Gollum, quote, did not live up to the expectations we had for the game, unquote. A patch is in the works for the title, though, and it will eventually be released. Well, as shocking as Gollum's quality was, it's really a shame that the gaming studio itself is shutting down. And it's a decision that's affecting a lot of hardworking individuals. Well, Data Lake Entertainment did confirm that they're trying to place employees elsewhere in the company network. Really sad to see an outcome like this, but honestly, Gollum just did not live up to any expectation whatsoever. And we kind of had an inkling that there was a problem when you just didn't see the marketing for it. And then when you saw the, the graphics and the pictures coming out, I mean, Gollum just doesn't look right to me. Now, I understand that the story itself takes place between the story of The Hobbit and the story of The Fellowship of the Ring. He's actively going after Bilbo Baggins. He's trying to find the One Ring. And so he's not the same Gollum that the ones that know him from the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring and beyond. What we're seeing here is a younger Gollum on a mission to find this ring. And that really sad news coming out of Datalik Entertainment. You never want to hear about a studio closing down, but I understand from their perspective, they're losing money on this game. It just didn't live up to the expectations. There was no hype to it. So um, I'd like to see these developers continue in other roles and we'll see what else they can come up with. A remaster of the Poop Harvesting Dinosaur Trainer Ark Survival Evolved called Ark Survival Ascended was being remade in Unreal Engine 5 and it was first teased as if it was going to be a free upgrade. But when it was officially announced as part of a $50 bundle that included a pre-order for Ark 2, fans were less than impressed. Studio Wildcard pivoted and then announced that rather than packaging the remaster with a pre-order for the sequel, it would instead come with several DLC upgrades, which it would receive more of after launch as free updates. Also, it would now cost $10 more. Studio Wildcard was aiming to release this remaster in late August of 23, but it's now been pushed back to October of 2023. The studio's latest newsletter explains, quote, We found it challenging working with Unreal Engine 5.2, but at the same time, it is incredibly exciting. We're discovering new ways each day to push the technology to the next level. Combined with the work needed to support a fully cross-platform moddable game ecosystem on consoles and PC, it's clear that we'll just need a little more time, unquote. While it will still launch with the island expansion included, the Scorched Earth expansion has been moved to a post-launch update, and the extra DLC maps have been pushed back as well. Scorched Earth will be coming to Ark Survival Ascended in December of 2023, while Ragnarok and Aberration will follow in first quarter of 2024, and the rest of the maps beyond that. 
And once again, the price is changing. Our Survival Ascended will now cost $40 with a launch discount. And then it'll be $54 for the rest of its early access period, which is estimated to last until late 2024. Uh, given that delay, Studio Wildcard's planned shutdown of the original version's official servers scheduled on August the 31st, it's now been pushed back as well. They will now be online until September the 30th. Assuming, we know how that works, assuming nothing else changes between now and then. ARC 2, which will star Vin Diesel, in case you kind of forgot about that unlikely little detail, it's scheduled for release at the end of 2024. Developer Jaeger Development has announced that its free-to-play multiplayer shooter, The Cycle Frontier, will go offline forever on September 27th. The developer gave a few reasons for the shutdown, including one interesting one. Cheaters have ruined the experience for everyone involved. On June 29th, Jaeger took to the, the game's Steam page and delivered the news. And alongside specifying that the project was no longer, quote, financially viable, unquote, despite the team's best efforts, Jaeger also said cheaters were equally to blame. Quote, the general behavior with online games after a good launch is a couple of nice weeks, then dwindling interest until stabilization after a few months. During perhaps one of the most important periods of a live game, we faced many challenges. One of them, and perhaps the most crucial one, was the increasing number of cheaters shortly after the cycle frontier went live. And although we had tools and measurements in place, we quickly realized we needed to improve our anti-cheat efforts to be able to ensure a fair game experience for all players. But by the time we got additional partners on board for the anti-cheat efforts and could focus again on gameplay and performance include improvements, the cycle frontier had already been affected. And as a result, we saw a significant decrease in our player base, unquote. Developed by the team behind the beloved third-person shooter Spec Ops The Line, the Cycle Frontier, it's a survival multiplayer shooter. It pits players against other players against the environment. It's called a PvPVE. As a prospector, you're supposed to go on the missions to collect loot and try to escape before the monsters maul you to death. It's a pretty cool premise. Um, it's got a lot of Borderlands and Escape from Tarkov ele elements to it with some squad-based gameplay like Apex Legends. Unfortunately, all of that will soon be irrelevant with the game going offline in a few months. The players are disappointed, and a cursory glance at the mixed score on the Steam page shows the fans decrying how this was a fun time. It benefited from various improvements, but ultimately... They couldn't escape the hackers that were just absolutely hell-bent on killing folks almost instantly. Bloody spawn campers. Anyway, what's next for the Cycle Frontier? Well, according to their official website, Epic Games players won't be able to install the game anymore, but Steam players can. But either way, everyone who owns the Cycle Frontier will still be able to access the game until September the 27th. Refunds will reportedly be automatically processed before the game goes offline. And while the official communication channels such as Discord and Twitter, etc., are just going to stop posting new content updates. Meanwhile, Jaeger will take the experience that's gathered and shift to new projects that it hasn't quite revealed yet. This news means the Cycle Frontier will soon join the over 40 games that were already killed this year because of dwindling player bases, lack of money and resources, expiring licenses, among a few reasons. 
And the Cycle Frontier's unceremonious shuttering follows a really big growing trend. Games cost time and money to make, to upkeep, and sometimes developers, developers just run out. From a preservation standpoint and for the dedicated player base, however, the decision to shut down the extraction shooter in September just really sucks. And now for something different. And to even go further for something a little different, I got a twofer for you. We got two stories in one segment, and neither one of them take place in the state of Georgia. Let's do this. The first one is in a, the state of Maine. A woman was bitten by a bear in her backyard while defending her pet dog, necessitating a trip to the hospital for stitches. I like her enthusiasm. I commend her, but I don't recommend this. Lynn Kelly age 64, was tending to her garden in Porter, Maine, when her dog took off into the woods, and it was barking at something. In short order, the dog came racing back to the yard, and a black bear was in hot pursuit. This is according to Mark Laddie, a spokesperson for the Maine Development of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. Kelly stood up and made herself appear large, which is recommended in a black bear encounter, but instead of slowly retreating, she proceeded to confront the bear, which is not recommended. The bear briefly latched onto Kelly's wrist as she punched the animal on the nose and she received stitches for the wound at the Memorial Hospital in North Conway, New Hampshire. It's rare for somebody to be bitten by a bear in Maine, even though the state has one of the largest black bear populations on the eastern seaboard. But black bears tend to just do whatever they want to do, but it is recommended because they are food-seeking creatures that you reduce, remove, or secure your bird feeders, your garbage, and pet food, and anything else that attracts the bear's attention. But sometimes they're still going to do what they want to do. Take a look a couple weeks ago. There was a black bear found swimming in the Gulf of Mexico off of the coast of Florida. Just walks right out of the water and just struts right back on into the woods. Sometimes, I guess, bears need vacations too. Our second story takes us over to Helsinki, Finland. There's a man who's a deputy mayor by the name of Pavo Ahenmaki, and he's currently facing possible legal action, and there are calls for him to pay compensation for damages and for him to resign. What did he do? He got caught red-handed spray-painting graffiti in a railway tunnel last weekend, and it gets better. The Finnish Transport Infrastructure Agency told public broadcaster YLE on Wednesday that cleaning up the graffiti illegally painted by Ahenmaki, who is one of the four deputy mayors of Helsinki, by the way, is going to cost the city around 3,500 euros, which translates to $3,830 U.S. The 46-year-old and his friend were caught by guards in a rail tunnel in eastern Helsinki on Friday, June the 30th, just after they had completed the graffiti, which Finnish street art experts said looked partly inspired by work seen in New York City back in the 1970s. Finland's largest newspaper published a photo of the large-scale graffiti in a tweet. I will link that down below. In a Facebook posting on Sunday, Ahenmaki, who is actually known as a strong supporter of street art and was a creator of graffiti in his youth, did apologize for his, quote, stupid fooling around, unquote. He's a former lawmaker and chairman of the Left Alliance and served as the Minister for Culture and Sports in 2011 to 2014. 
police are investigating the act as vandalism and interference with rail traffic because it had to be temporarily halted because of this incident. This rail tunnel is used by cargo trains running to and from a Helsinki port. But it's not immediately clear whether Ahimaki would face legal charges. He did tell YLE on Monday, I have committed a crime and I bear full responsibility for it. Well, that's a fantastic start. But he did refuse to resign from his post and the Helsinki City Council, where his left alliance party is backing him. This case has caused a lot of uproar and a lot of debate among the citizens of Helsinki, especially in social media, where a majority are condemning and some are also fiercely supporting him and the actions of the deputy mayor, who, in a slight twist to the story, is in charge of culture and leisure affairs in Helsinki. The Finnish capital spends an estimated 650,000 euros, which is $710,000 annually to remove illegal graffiti throughout the city. And it's currently seeking to establish additional sanctioned sites for the street art. So here you have this deputy mayor who's in charge of culture illegally painting graffiti inside of a railway tunnel. Y'all, I just can't make these stories up. So we talked a little bit about valve band waves. We talked a little bit about cheating, gladiator, Twitter, a potential octagon fight, Dr. Jones, and a bear. I did promise a bear story down bit night. We never seem to take a straight path from point A to point B, but you know what? I really wouldn't want it any other way. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this trip today. I do want to remind you that I do include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there is a story that you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in gaming and entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.